Hi, everybody. So, uh, my name is Gareth Mangs. I am the youth pastor at Christchurch Midrand. And today, I have the wonderful opportunity of speaking to you from Ruth chapter 1. I'm actually just going to get straight into it. We're going to first pray, read the passage, and then hopefully I'll take about 10 minutes to explain the passage. Maybe a little more than 10 minutes, but around 10 minutes. Okay, here we go. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much that it is powerful and and, and, it, and that it is at work. And uh, Father, I just pray that your Spirit will work in me. I pray that your Spirit will work in those who are listening here on the video. And I pray, Lord, ultimately that lives will be changed. Present your name. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 1 it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahalan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose when her daughter-in-law, sorry, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, to, to, to her two daughters-in-law, "Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone on against me. Verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. So I've got 10 minutes, so I'm going to do the best that I can. Uh, and right off the bat in this passage, we see from verse 1 to 5, a terrible tragedy happens. There's a woman, and her name is Naomi. She's a Jewish woman. She's been living in Bethlehem. And she's been living with her two boys and her husband, but a hectic tragedy strikes. She loses her husband and her two boys. They die. Now, if you've lost three family members or even more than that, you know just how hectic this is. It's even hectic to lose one person, but to lose three is really hectic. But that's not... That's not the end of her tragedy. It gets worse. So she is a woman who is living in a male-dominated society. And women back then, if you lost your husband, you could no longer keep your property because it wasn't yours. And so what would happen is your deceased husband's relatives would marry you. At least one of them would marry you. So that you could keep your property. So this woman is really in a tragic situation. She's lost the three men in her life. But not only that, she's homeless. And she's looking after her two daughters. Daughter-in-laws. Um, Ruth and Orpah. We can see that Naomi has really hit rock bottom in, in her life uh, because if you look in verse 20, this is how she describes her situation. She's chatting to some woman and she, she says to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She says something similar in verse 13. And I think many of us can actually identify with Naomi here. We all know what it's like to be in this situation. When your suffering is so bad that you actually feel empty. Like you're just a shell of the person that you once were. And if you're not going through this now, I can bet you probably have a friend who is. A person who is not the same as what they used to be. Like something, like, like they're empty inside. Like Naomi, they were once sweet, but now they've become bitter. In other words... They were once in a good place, but now they seem to be living in darkness. They don't laugh as much anymore or talk as much as they used to. Or something is just different from the bright person that they once were. This is because of this situation. It's been so tough that they can't bear to stand under the weight of their suffering. And so their suffering crushes them, and with it, their spirit is crushed as well. They've got nothing left to give. 
And you might be feeling like that. You might be feeling empty. So Naomi is not in a good state, and she realizes that she needs to do something about this. So when she hears that the Lord has blessed her people back home in Judah with food, she decides, let me go that way. Maybe, just maybe, I can get my life sorted out again. So she sets off on her journey from Moab back to Judah, and on her way while she's walking, she has this realization her daughter-in-laws would be better off in their hometown of Moab instead of coming with Naomi to Judah. She looks at them and she kind of says, are you guys going to come with me and, and wait until I get married again and then wait some more until I have kids and then wait some more until those boys that I have are grown up so you can marry them? No, that's nonsense. So she says, go back to Moab. And there's another kind of logical reason why she does this. And it's because back then, there was quite a xenophobia between sort of Judah, uh, sort of the, between the Jews and the Moabites. The Jews didn't really like the Moabites that much, and so there's another safety reason behind doing what, behind Naomi doing what she's doing. She just wants to look after her daughters, her daughter-in-laws. But every time she says "go back, go back," they keep saying over again, over and over, "No, we'll go with you," and eventually. Orpah caves, and she says, that's it, I'm heading back to Moab. But Ruth, Ruth doesn't. And it's not wrong for for Orpah to go back. But what is incredible about Ruth is for is Ruth's reason for staying. She stays because she has this incredible love for Naomi. Look how it's described in verse 16. But Ruth says, and, and you can kind of imagine when Ruth says this, that she's putting her foot down. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. What, what incredible words. I mean, just, just imagine for a second. Imagine if someone said those words to you. If someone was that other person centered, that they said these words to you, where, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, verse 17. There I will be buried. I mean, those are such powerful words. But not only does Ruth love Naomi with these words, but she actually makes an oath. She says this. She says, may the Lord deal with me. As verse 17, if anything but death parts me from you. May the Lord deal with me. If anything but death parts me from you. One of the reasons I love these verses in the Bible is because in our culture, here's what we do. We settle. We settle for the words, I love you. What do I mean by that? When you watch a movie, they always hype up to that moment where the two lead characters are looking at each other in the eyes. And the one character says to the other character, 
but I love you. And at that moment, the violence kick in and the whole movie reaches a climax and the two people kiss and you can hear one of the white girls in the back of the cinema going, they really love each other. It's at that point in the movie, before the kiss, when the guy says, I love you, that I just want to step into the movie and I just want to go, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Stop, Romeo. What do you mean when you say the words, I love you? Are you just saying them? Because some chemical reaction has gone off inside your body and it's developed these emotions and these emotions have spilled out into mere words? Or are you really committed? Will you be there by her side when she has tubes sticking in her because she's in the hospital? Will you be there if it means you can't do the things that you love because you're putting her first? Will you be there even if her personality changes and she's not the same? Will you be there? What do you mean by I love you? Are you just saying that because it's mere emotion? Or are you committed? See, Ruth in this passage doesn't just say I love you. She doesn't settle for cheap words. She says what she truly means. And what she means is she will give her life for Naomi. See, boys, don't just say, I love you. These are cheap words. If you are speaking to a woman, tell her your commitment. If you can speak words like Ruth to a woman, I can tell you, it is far better than chocolates. It's far better than a thousand chocolates. Now hear me, right? I'm not saying you should never get a woman chocolates. No, that's a cardinal sin. You should always get women chocolates. But don't use cheap words like I love you. Show what you mean. Anyway, I've digressed a bit from the story. The most important part is what happens at the very end of the chapter. Naomi finally enters the town, and when the woman of the town greets her, she says, well, we looked at earlier. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now, when you get to this part of the story, you totally get Naomi's words when she blames God for her struggles. She says in verse 20 that the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. In verse 21, she says, the Lord has brought me back empty. And the Lord has testified against me and brought calamity upon me. You and I, we, we do this when, when we go through intense suffering. We, we are like Naomi. We blame God. It's something you, you've, got to, you've got to see in Ruth chapter 1. Is you, you've, got to, you've got to ask yourself this. Why? Why did the author choose to put in that conversation between Ruth and Naomi just before Ruth, Naomi enters uh Judah, you've got to ask, why did he put that section in there? It's because, you know, I mean, they probably had lots of conversations between Moab and Judah. 
they probably had tons of conversations. Why specifically that one? Well, the reason that author has put it in there is because he wants to show that God is actually still loving Naomi, even in the midst of her struggles. He's chosen to give her someone like Ruth, a person who has committed her entire life to serving Naomi. See, Naomi, when, when she had told the woman to call her Mara, she was blind. And we get it because we get that blindness because you and I do the same thing. When we are in the midst of intense struggle, we are sometimes blind to the good things that God is doing in our lives. Like Naomi, we say things like, Lord, you made me this way. You made me bitter. I am empty and you are the one who is testifying against me. But we do not see Ruth who is standing right beside us as we enter into Judah. We don't. And you might be in a situation where you are saying similar words to the Lord. You are shouting out to, to him saying, God, why have you left me in this state? What are you doing? And you completely forget about the friend who has been beside you the entire time. You don't see the person who has been praying for you the entire time. You don't see the fact that you still have food on the table when you get home, that you still have breath in your lungs, that you still have a roof over your head or a bed to go to. You just don't see it. You're blind. You might be shouting at God saying, God, I'm a failure at school. But you don't remember all the other achievements he's given you. You don't see them. You might be shouting, nobody gets me. But you just don't see the many people who have tried to get you. We suffer because we become blind. And the one thing that we become the most blind to is God himself. Because we shout, God, you don't love me. How can you if I'm going through this? You see, that's that's the climax. We start off suffering. Things get worse. We start shouting at God. But really, what's behind the reason why we're shouting at God is we think we don't love him. We think he doesn't love us. And eventually, we get to the point where we just shout this out. We just shout, God, why don't you love me? We just get to the point. See, we started off by saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then eventually, we realize our biggest problem with God in our suffering is that he doesn't love us. But you'll find when you read the New Testament that the same love Ruth showed for Naomi is the same love Jesus shows for you and I. And Jesus is God. And like Ruth left Moab to enter Judah where people didn't like her, so Jesus entered the world that would eventually put him on a cross. Like Ruth gave up her people to join Naomi's people, so God left heaven to become a part of us, our people. And like Ruth committed to go wherever Naomi went, so Jesus walked our road with us. And he does it in two ways. He did it literally by coming to earth and experiencing the same experiences we do. 
and he still walks with us now through his Holy Spirit. Some people think that when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, the experiences that he went through were completely different to the ones that we go through now. But that's just not true. If you've been abused, guess what? He was abused at the cross. If you felt alone in your life, guess what? He was left alone on the cross. Even his own father turned his back on him. And his disciples deserted him. If you feel unloved, guess what? People took him and put him on a cross. He went through so many things. You just need to read through the New Testament. Read about this Jesus and see that he walked in the same shoes we walked in. But added to that, he actually is still experiencing your experiencing experiences with you now. If you believe in Jesus and his Holy Spirit is on you, it means each experience that you go through, he is literally walking it with you. And he literally knows you from the inside. So he knows your feelings. He knows your pains. He knows your hurts. And he's able to sympathize with you. He is literally walking with you to the end. He's doing one thing that Ruth couldn't do. And that is literally be with you till the very end. Lastly, Ruth says in verse 17, Where you die, I will die. And where you are buried, there I will be buried. Jesus died where we should have died, on that cross. And he was buried where we should have been buried, in that tomb. My friends, to say Jesus doesn't love you means you are blind. He loves you just like Ruth loved Naomi. And he's offering to stick with you through thick and thin. When I was in high school, I didn't have it easy. Exams to me felt like hell because I suffered from severe anxiety. And yet in the midst of my deepest struggles in high school, I had something awesome. I always had my Jesus. And I'd pray to him all the time. I... Look, I wasn't a perfect Christian, not by a long shot. In fact, that's probably the reason why I prayed to him quite a lot. But I didn't need to be a perfect Christian. Because like Ruth, my Jesus promised to never leave me, no matter what I did or said or who I was. When my parents were going through a rough patch, my Jesus would never leave me or forsake me. When I felt abandoned by my friends, my Jesus never left me. When I was alone, when I felt inadequate, stupid, insignificant, confused, my Jesus was always there. And like Ruth, he refuses to step away from me. And he is committed to me to be with me till the very end. Where I go, he goes. Where I die, he dies. My people are his people. Do you get it? Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you are missing out to hear these words. This Jesus is freely available to you. And he doesn't, he doesn't ask you when you come to him to suddenly be a good person and all of those things. He takes you as you are. There is no strings attached when you come to Jesus. 
there's no kind of profile or person that you need to be, some kind of CV that you need to achieve. No, you just come and it's free of charge. You come to and you say, Lord, please take my life. And when you do, what he does is he takes everything that is sinful and wrong about you and he puts it on a cross and he dies for it. And what that does is that enables a friendship. So basically what I'm saying in short is just trust in Jesus. Trust in him. And when you do that, guess what? Guess what? You get to be friends with a king who never leaves you. If you are a Christian here today, I want to encourage you. If you are struggling, I want to encourage you to step back and to see all the good and godly things God is doing in your life. Just step back a moment, pause, breathe, and think about them. Think about perhaps the friends you have in your life. Think about the blessings and the luxuries that you have, like your home, your oxygen that you breathe, the fact that you're getting an education, all of those things. But most importantly, don't forget Jesus. If you are questioning whether God loves you, just look back to see what he did 2,000 years ago. And look at the fact that he is still with you today. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God who never leaves us. And I just pray for those who are not Christians here, that they may turn to you and give their lives to you. I pray for the Christians here, that they may see you in the small things and in the big things of their lives while they're struggling. But I pray most importantly, most importantly, that they will see Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're not a Christian and you want to give your life to the Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my number on the bottom of the screen. And you can call that. Uh, or you can text me and I will help you with giving your life to Jesus. Thanks very much. Goodbye.